episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page is brought to you by another song from a favorite artist of mine. He's also my worship pastor, Kerry Amos. He's a worship pastor at Burn Hickory Baptist Church in Powder Springs, Georgia. He has made a lifetime of writing songs and leading people into worship. We're going to listen to this song in its entirety later on in this podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings. And salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee at the Bible and Page. I am Page, your caffeine imbued host. Here's my coffee. In the beginning, coffee. And lo, it was very good. Well, today we're going to continue on with Galatians 5. We're going to go 16 through 26. Paul is about to get into one of the most iconic passages in the New Testament. The passage that discusses the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And He's doing this because he wants them to understand what the results of these false teachers' teachings will be and what the results of his teachings will be if followed. Now, this isn't Paul exalting himself. He's speaking truth here. He's saying God's Holy Spirit will produce behavior like this. And the unholy spirit, if you will, of these false teachings produces, favor, produces behavior like this. So let's get started. He's going to talk about what those are. Verse 16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, when Paul talks about the flesh, it means a human being as a fallen person whose desires, even at best, originate from sin and are stained by it. Sarx, which is a Greek word for flesh here, came to mean all the evil that one is capable of apart from the intervention of God's Holy Spirit. And it is synonymous with the natural man, the old nature, the sinful nature. We see that in Romans a lot. Sarx also contains thoughts of human limitation, both intellectually and morally. Thus, that which is flesh is incapable of knowing God apart from special revelation and the redemption that removes the barrier of sin. And it also means that they are incapable of understanding you when you talk about spiritual things. The preaching of the cross, Paul said earlier, is foolishness to those that believe. So, the sin nature is very limiting. Now, the phrase walking in the Spirit means that the Spirit of God has taken up residence in the Christian to enable him or her to understand spiritual things, to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, call God Father, and develop a Christian personality. The Spirit is thus the presence of God in a person. 
through whom fellowship with God is made possible, and power given for winning the warfare against sin in the soul. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, is not natural to us in our fallen state. But this doesn't mean that the gift of the Holy Spirit in a redeemed person means that that, is, that redeemed person escapes the need to struggle against sin. We all know that's not true. The Spirit simply makes a victory possible where no victory was possible before. And that only to the degree that the believer lives by the Spirit or walks in Him. More on that later. Verse 17, For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, a characteristic of the conflict between the flesh and the spirit is that they're irreconcilable. You can't mix it. In the sense in which Paul uses these words, a sinful nature does no good and doesn't desire good. Romans is all over that. Whereas the spirit does no evil. The Holy Spirit does no evil and indeed opposes anything that doesn't please God. Romans 7 has a lot more to say on that. The last clause of this verse means that the sinful nature keeps a person from doing the good he or she desires. Romans 7 again. Some have maintained that there's no conflict within the Christian because the old nature has been killed. The flesh has been crucified with Christ and is no longer a problem. We know that's not true. Naturally, the sinful nature is to become increasingly subdued as we walk with Christ. But it's never eliminated in this life. So the Christian is never released from the necessity of consciously having to choose to go in God's way and to depend upon God's grace. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. All right. This is Paul's summary, reminding the Galatians that though he's now talking of the need to live a godly life, he is not reverting to legalism. Life by the Spirit is neither legalism, nor is it license, nor is it a middle way in between. It's a life of faith and love that allows a person to be led by the Spirit. The best example I can give of this is marriage, my marriage. Ever since my wife and I became married, we both became part of a dance that involves the two of us. And in this dance, I am learning what my wife loves. I'm learning what causes my wife to grieve. And I take action to affirm one and deny the other. There's, there were things in me that she didn't like that really bothered her. My wife has never been one to henpack. My wife has never been one to lay down the law. But when I discovered that certain aspects of my behavior bothered her, I took steps to take care of that. I used to have a very explosive temper. I never hit my wife. I'd never hit my children. But I would have, I've hit walls. And I used to just explode. And I realized how much that hurts my wife to see that. So I worked over the years to just absolutely control my temper because I don't want to grieve my wife. That's like what walking in the Holy Spirit is. It's a life of faith and love where we are learning what pleases God. And we focus on that. 
and we are learning what displeases God, and we work on that. If you're led by the Spirit, Paul says, you're not under the law. Now, in verse 19 20 through 21, we see that that's coming up. We see that the Spirit and the flesh are in conflict, like we just said. And the, he's going to give us two lists to look at. And these lists are more than a mere proof of what he wrote about earlier. But by talking about these areas of conduct, he provides a checklist for measuring the conduct of those who consider themselves spiritual. Now, this isn't the same thing as a, a legalistic checklist. I got to do these things or I'm not saved. But he calls it fruit of the spirit for a reason. So we can consider ourselves to be fruit inspectors. If one's conduct is characterized by the traits in the first list I'm going to read, then he or she is either not a believer or else a believer who is not being led by God's Spirit. Let's take a look at that. We're going to take a break right now, and we're going to listen to Carrie Amos' song, True Life. You heard a snippet of it at the beginning of this recording. And then at the end of that song, we'll come back and we'll finish off Acts. Acts. <laughs> we'll come back and we will finish off Galatians chapter 5. Figure 
Each morning I wake with a dawn to praise you with a holy song. Each day your mercies are made new, and my true life is found in you. All right, welcome back. That was a good song by a good friend. Check him out on all the biggies, Spotify, iTunes. He's out there. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. He's the worship pastor, as I said, at Burn Hickory Baptist Church. He's worth listening to. All right, let's get back to our Bible study. In chapter 5, verse 19, 20, Paul says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He splits these things up into four basic lists. There's three violations of sexual morality, two sins from the religious realm, eight sins pertaining to conduct in regard to other human beings, and two typically pagan sins. But whether or not that's important to you, just know that the life of a non-believer, this is what it's characterized by. Now, not everybody's going to be into witchcraft, obviously, or idolatry, but you're going to see hatred, discord, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. This stuff is what pops up around us in society. That's the acts of the flesh. Those who live this way, are showing no difference in their lifestyle than the society that surrounds them. If you call yourself a Christian, and yet you are known by these characteristics, that should be a big red flag. After listing these characteristics, Paul finishes by saying, again, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, live is the word praso, which means to practice. Basically, it's an ongoing thing. Paul adds a solemn warning here. He's saying that those who habitually practice these things will never inherit God's kingdom. This doesn't mean that if Christians fall into an isolated lapse of sin through maybe getting drunk or any of these things, that they lost their salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that salvation is permanent. So that can't be what this means. But Paul is referring to a habitual continuation in sins of this sinful nature. And his point is that those who continually practice these sins give evidence of having never received God's Spirit. We've all known people who claim to be Christians and yet seem to have no problem living like the world around them, living in sin, uh, practicing any or all of those things that are on that list. If we're fruit inspectors we can make an assurance that that person has probably never received God's Spirit. Because how could you receive the good things of God and act like that, really? I've run into people who said, 
I saw God. And yet they're, li- they're living like hell. I don't believe when they say they saw God. Because God, when he shows up, changes you. He changed Moses. He changed everybody he, he appears to. The phrase, when he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God, he's going back to his discussion on Abraham. And he's saying that those who give evidence of this sinful nature habitually, with no change, they are not Abraham's seed and therefore will not inherit salvation. Now Paul goes to the second list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Hmm. If you're evidencing ever-increasing fruit of the Spirit from this list, the law has nothing to say to you. You're in Christ, and this is evidence of it. And the evidence of your life bears this out. If, however, your life is characterized by the acts of the flesh, the first list, the law has plenty to say to you, and you're condemned, being pronounced guilty. I don't have time to break down every item on this fruit of the spirit, but these things are to be in ever increasing amounts in our life. Our life is to be ever increasingly represented by these attributes, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus should not be dominated by their old way of life. That's what Paul is saying here. Since we live by the Spirit, he says in verse 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now this is important. Stoichio, that's the Greek word. It means to follow, to walk in, to adhere to. How can we follow if we're not looking to our guide? I'm thinking of if I were to hire a guide to take me on a hunt in Alaska. I have to keep my eyes on my guide as we're going through the forest or I'll get lost. I have to listen to what my guide says about what it is we're hunting. I say if we're hunting bear, that's pretty dangerous. Uh, that's a pretty dangerous hunt because he's that bear is the apex predator in that environment. I'm going to listen to my guide. It's important that I listen to him. And it's also involves following him, also involves me speaking to him, asking questions, and him answering me. So how can we follow if we're not having our eyes open to look to our guide? How can we follow if we're not listening to what our guide, the Holy Spirit, tells us? You see, the one who follows and listens to the Holy Spirit will show evidence, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the evidence. And the reverse is also true. The one who does not follow or listen to the Holy Spirit will reveal their heart by habitually living out according to the acts of the flesh that we listed earlier. How do we listen to the Holy Spirit? Well, God's given us a really big thing. It's called the Bible. The words of God are in that Bible. The Word of God speaks to you. How do we talk to our Holy, the Holy Spirit? That's easy. We pray. We pray to God. 
you're talking to the one who guides you and you're going to be listening to the one who guides you. Now, he'll speak to you in a couple different ways through the scriptures as you read them. Sometimes he speaks to you by someone in your close circle of confidants that you trust who are also believers. He'll speak to you through them. Sometimes he speaks to you through the circumstances surrounding you in your life. The guide, our guide, the Holy Spirit will speak to us. We need to watch him. We need to listen to him. We need to speak to him. And we need to keep, that will keep us in step with the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, he says, let us not become conceited. Therefore, provoking and envying each other. That's kind of what was going on as a result of these false teachers. There was arguing, biting, he said, biting and devouring each other, I said in the earlier passage. And that's the fruit of that teaching. When you try to live a life of legalism, you can't help but develop a sense of pride in all the things that you can do and keep, the rules you can do and keep. The word conceited means a state of pride that has no proper basis. Now, I'm a good guitar player. There is a good kind of pride. And I've experienced that where I've done a particularly good performance uh, as a musician. I did a very good job. The people loved it. The audience loved it. It's okay to be proud about that. But if I were to walk around telling the whole world that I'm the greatest guitar player since Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eric Clapton, and the like, that would be a state of pride that has no proper basis. When you hold yourself up to be holy and righteous because you're following the law, you're not being holy and righteous. Your pride is conceit and has no proper basis. It's a good place to stop. I... Uh, Hope this gave you something to think about. Our next Bible study, we will be looking at moving into chapter 6 of Galatians, our last chapter. Hmm, I hope you've been getting something out of this. Until next time, I'm Paige. Have a great and glorious day. Bye-bye. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at page, that's P-A-I-G-E, at coffeebiblepage.com.